Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. The Texas power outage has taught us many things. Most importantly, it exposed the state's fragile power grid. As extreme weather events continue, we have an opportunity to tune into a greater power, a higher power, and navigate these liminal times with far less anxiety, fear, and even unnecessary hardship. How are we going to do that? How do we do that? Our guest today says, nature is going to teach us how to evolve and adapt. I love that phrase, the answer's lie in accessing or what he calls sourcing the wisdom of life itself. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Jeff Vanderkloot is a quiet spiritual teacher, a way shower of enlightened enterprise, and a trusted advisor committed to co-creating a society filled with awakened people, communities, and organizations. During these times of disruption and great opportunity, Jeff sees through complexity to the illumined possibilities. He delights in empowering people to find their way. As a spiritual guide, Jeff assists mentees in developing their own source, connection, and capabilities, capacities. You can develop your own source connection for awakened living. In his coaching and consulting practice, he works with the technologies of higher consciousness to bring forth clarity, love, and support for initiatives that are in service to true nature. Jeff is a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle and the Global Compassion Council of Charter for Compassion International. He's a co-founder of Sourcing the Way, Enlightening Journeys and Expeditions, and the Consciousness of Money. He also serves as a board director for Alliance for the Earth, Garden of Light, and Source of Synergy Foundation. And that was just a lot of words, and I can't wait to just take you into the essence and amazing voice of our guest here. So welcome, Jeff. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Julie. It is lovely to be with you all today. Mm. I, I'm so happy to, to have you here, and we plan to have a show and then hear this large event happened in Texas. So I kind of want to just give our listeners this overall invitation to tune in and stay tuned in. We are going to talk about some amazing opportunities for you. But first, Jeff, I want to go to my traditional first question because I I think the ever-evolving answers are fascinating and, and I love to go here and set our conversation in this larger meme, this whole worldview. So I'm going to start with that traditional question and ask you if you can share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Wonderful question. All things connected 
means what it says. All things are connected. And for me, when we explore that uh, profound interconnectivity and discover that nothing therefore could ever be disconnected, that leads us naturally into a discovery of our oneness, of the fact of our nature as all that is. So all is connected and and we are that. And the beauty of discovering how much our identity overflows and can therefore nourish the web of life. That for me is the gift of a lifetime. Oh, I love that. Nourishing that web of life. I love that. And that we are that. Um, thank you. It's always refreshing to hear this answer and it's fun because it has evolved over the eight years of doing this show from us really trying to prove all things are connected to this place where like you said it we are that we are all things connected nothing can be disconnected so thank you jeff jeff there's a there's a growing community of people around the world who are finding methods to access or source the wisdom of life itself and you know some call it tapping into collective intelligence. Some refer to as accessing the unified field of consciousness or universal intelligence. The actual methods vary widely and evolve over time. And you, my friend, are a master. You are a living laboratory of sourcing. So I want to dig into sourcing and, and go really deep and help our listeners understand what does this mean. But let's begin with your experience in Texas and do some storytelling here and really bringing these lessons alive for the listeners because literally what you just experienced in Texas is an important piece to calm the consciousness, to calm the, I, you know what, there's this, um, I think this important piece of really looking at the terrain that we face, all these extreme weather events, so much is happening. And there are so many people on the planet afraid right now. So what you have to share can help us calm, can help us come into a truer sense of who we be, perhaps even awaken into higher levels of awareness and um, really access a beautiful treasure map for all of us here. So let's begin with Texas. And why don't you just share with our listeners your story of what you just encountered? Well, thank you for the, the invitation. And it's always helpful to have a story that illustrates the principles if we're talking about something abstract, especially, although actually sourcing becomes far from abstract, the more we do it, it becomes uh, a way of life. So if I back up a little bit, I'll say I haven't historically spent a lot of time in Texas, and I do love to go to new places because uh, I find there's always some kind of activation and the creative juices seem to flow more easily. And places carry unique medicine and messages. And so when I travel, which I've done a bit less of in recent times, naturally, uh, I, feel, I feel gifted by the places that I visit and commune with. So I was called, interestingly enough, to Texas at the beginning of February, not really knowing why. Yes, there was some idea that if I went to the Texas coast, it would be warmer than in the Northeast, uh, where I had been. However, the prevailing factor in any decision making for me 
is the felt sense of rightness. And so as I sat with it, slept on it, tuned in in various ways that we'll talk about later, uh, I got well, fly to Santa Fe, pick up a car that I have access to, a wonderful old Prius with a license plate that says Sea Beauty. And so Beauty and I have traveled a lot of the country together, and that warmed my heart. Uh, so I did that. Needed to leave New Mexico, however, because of the quarantine requirements. So I went to Texas right away and made my way to the coast. Now, at that point, everything was quite lovely. I spent two nights uh, actually camping on a beach near Port Lavaca. And I haven't camped in a long time. And I had a couple of sleeping bags with me uh, for that reason. And they turned out to be quite useful later on. So then I worked my way to the south. The idea was, and the kind of inner calling, more importantly, was that I would have a meditation retreat on South Padre Island, which had always called to me on the map. Whenever I looked at a map of Texas, my eye was drawn to the southernmost tip, and particularly the, the barrier island called South Padre Island. And there's a little city on the tip, and so that's where I drove to, uh, in Sea Beauty, and uh, stayed in a hotel, and the weather was not what I had imagined in terms of sunshine and warmth. In fact, it was foggy and a bit cool, which actually was good weather for a meditation retreat. It facilitated going within. Um, what happened is I did that and wasn't paying attention to the news. So I didn't know there was a winter storm coming in uh, from the northwest and dipping down to cover all of Texas into Mexico. And moreover, that this was to be a big storm. However, something said to me, go buy groceries. So I went to a Walmart where I could buy lots of groceries and uh, ended up buying about a week's worth, <clears throat> thinking that would fuel me during the meditation retreat. And uh, so anyway, these are kind of the basic logistics. But you know, I can say, looking back, that the insight to have sleeping bags, the insight to uh, buy food, and many other little uh, moments and decisions added up to being prepared for what then happened. So here comes winter storm Yuri, uh, dropping a lot of snow, uh, a lot of ice, uh, particularly uh, to the north of where I was. We didn't really have snow, but we did have a blackout, and that persisted for three days. So during that time, I didn't have electricity in my hotel or uh, Wi-Fi, which I can live without during a meditation retreat, though it is useful, did not have mobile phone service because the cell phone towers were out, and towards the end did not really have running water and certainly didn't have hot water. So uh, these are inconveniences that actually a lot of people around the world live with, and I felt it was an excellent opportunity to, uh, to practice resiliency and have more, uh, more of an understanding for how much of the world... Um, living conditions for much of the world. And I was hearing reports, although without electricity or communication, and not too much uh, from people elsewhere in Texas, that it was a very dire situation. And um, the temperature dipped well below freezing, and I had the sleeping bags, and I was fine. Um, so I was never uh, unsafe. And I, I was in a beautiful place. And I had an incredible series of meditations and insights. So I, I was so grateful for, for the experience that I was having, inconvenient as it was uh, on certain levels. 
And then an inner voice said, it's time to leave. I woke up the third morning without power. And instead of going to a nearby coffee shop that was somewhat functional, I, uh, I just got that I needed to leave right now. So uh, that's what I did. Left the island. And then I saw long lines of cars waiting for gas. And it occurred to me, oh, okay, so this is pretty serious. Let me get gas. I waited in line for an hour and it w there was only Supreme available, Supreme unleaded. And that was um, um, fine with me. I was happy to pay a higher price to fill the tank. And then I looked at the map and I doused where to next. I knew I couldn't go north. <clears throat> the cities and the interstates were icy. And uh, that's where the, the really serious challenges were and people were dying of carbon monoxide poisoning and people were freezing to death. It, just very, very sad. So uh, while I talk about my experience and how in many ways it was miraculous and, and quite an adventure, it's important to keep in mind that um, that was ex an exception. And there are perhaps reasons why it was an exception. Maybe the sourcing has, has helped me uh, in at various times to kind of stay out of harm's way. I, that would be my, um, my lesson from this experience or one of them. So I got gas. I went from little town to little town in Southwest Texas where there would be some gas. And then finally I worked my way to Del Rio, which is on the border with Mexico. And I was confronted with the reality that none of the stations in town had gas. So this would be the place where I would spend the night. And this hotel, uh, Motel 6, I was guided to uh, kind of just an instantaneous, oh, go there, uh, did have electricity and Wi-Fi and heat, but no running water. So the advice uh, from the person at the front desk was, oh, just go down to the pool and scoop up water and you can fill the toilet or, you know, whatever that way, which I thought was interesting. And something in me said uh, that the water would likely be on by 10 a.m. the next morning. And I was happy to have three out of four services. So uh, interestingly enough, I woke up the next morning thinking it would be a sunny day, that the storm was behind us. And no, it was Yuri part two. And we had six inches of snow and it was well below freezing. And I realized I'd have to extend, spend another night, uh, which I was happy to do. Again, you know, every step of the way, I felt like, oh, this is fine. This is right. And guess what? At 9.48 a.m., I heard the, the burbling sound in the pipes, and now there was water, and then there was hot water, and I had a warm shower for the first time in days, a shower at all for the first time in days. So I realized this is kind of almost like a, a mundane story, but it's interesting because the mundane details take on a greatly uh, added significance when the experience of not having them is so present and fresh in one's mind as it was for me. So at that point, I was comfortable. I had food still. I had bought bottled water along the way. As many of you will know, uh, there were um, boil water uh, advisories for much of the state of Texas because the drinking water had become a problem. Pipes had frozen or broken. Um, there was a risk of contamination. A lot of people just simply didn't have water at all. And, um, you know, you don't want to drink pool water. Maybe if you boil it, it's better. Uh, so I was happy to have bottled water. That was also a guided decision. Um, there were times when I was guided to buy a lot of food or water. And then there were times when I got, no, no, you don't need more than this. So I could feel a deeper wisdom 
guiding and keeping me from the mode of panic buying. So the reason the state was out of gas uh, had to do with people panic buying, at least in part, significant measure. So there's a balancing act between doing uh, what you need to do for your own survival and not overdoing it, which then um, impairs the comfort and potentially survival of others. So I learned a lot of lessons and it was an interactive experience of listening within, tuning into the felt sense of how life is moving. Go here, go there. There was one point where all the, um, the rest areas and service centers on an interstate I was on for a short while had no running water. And you know, at some point nature calls, um, so I looked at the map and I got, oh, we'll drive in this direction, which was the opposite direction from where I wanted to go. And lo and behold, there's a beautiful uh, rest area that is new construction, actually the most beautiful rest area I've seen, to be entirely honest, and functional toilets and uh, water fountains and such, and nobody's there. So my sense is looking back on that experience what would it be like if we inhabited a world where more people are listening uh, to these kinds of signals? And I'm by no means saying everyone should do it the way I do. Um, do it in your way. In fact, that's how you'll get the guidance that you can rely on by finding your own source connection and your own methods for discernment. But imagine that more people knew where to go, knew where the gas was, knew where the food was, knew where they could use the toilet or get water. It would have been a gentler experience for the state of Texas, um, but there were still challenges. For instance, the electrical grid. And the big lesson for me there uh, involves the policies behind certain um, structural decisions relating to electricity distribution in Texas for various political reasons, mainly not wanting to be regulated by the federal government. The decision was made some time ago, maybe about 10 years ago, not to interconnect with the uh, neighboring states. And as a result, when Texas lost power, it could not draw upon the power uh, generation capacity of neighboring states. And so it was literally on its own. Mother Nature is showing us that this doesn't work. Mother Nature is showing us that not to interoperate, to, to be unwilling to interoperate with our neighbors and therefore unable to interoperate with our neighbors is actually madness. And I'm, I'm so sorry that 3.5 million people had to pay the price. And about, I don't know how many in Texas, but 70 people overall died as a result of this winter storm in very avoidable ways. So I'm hopeful that we're learning some lessons uh, politically and uh, in terms of energy policies. And I'm, I'm hopeful that more and more individuals can also learn to find their way, to source their way by listening to life. Now, the story of how I got out of Texas has just a little further to go. So one morning, second morning in Del Rio, I woke up and realized I wouldn't be able to get gas there still. There'd been snow. There was no more gas uh, available than there was two nights before. Um, but I did have enough in the tank, just enough to make it to an interstate where probably there would be gas because there are a lot, there are a lot of cars that go that way. So I made my way. I was really quite pleased when the outside temperature climbed above freezing as I didn't have um, you know, the most amazing snow tires ever and uh, found my way to Sonora, Texas and gassed up and then drove west. 
And from that point, it was it was much easier. But I have to say, I could feel in my body at that point, I could feel the, the tension, the stress, the anxiety, some of which was mine, some of which was collective. Millions of people were in some state of anxiety and fear, and, and many are still dealing with the water issues. And I could feel that in my body. All of this drives home for me the importance of finding new ways of being in the world that work better. And to the extent that we can, we can listen, we can follow guidance, we can discover that at all times we're living in a field of grace. If only we would align ourselves with the, the currents of life and in many ways surrender because when life is going one way and, and we're going another, uh, it doesn't help to cling to our plans, our holiday vacation plans or our ideas of what should be the case. All of those crumble in the face of a major weather event and we're going to see more of those. Mother Nature will, will persist in teaching us what we need to learn until we learn. And when we do, we'll see. Uh, maybe that will result in fewer extreme weather event, events. Maybe we'll find that climate disruption is reduced by virtue of our evolving consciousness. We may discover that there are many layers to climate change and that there's a spiritual dimension which is ultimately the most significant. Oh, Jeff, pause. Um, wow, I want to jump into so many pieces and follow up because there was there was so much beauty and wisdom right there. And um, I think I'm just going to echo some of your words of that that Mother Nature is showing us that it doesn't work to separate. That that piece of wisdom is really important. And I love how you talked about this field of grace. So we have about five minutes before break, and we're going to dig into what is this practically how does this work but first let's stick with this texas and some of the global wisdom that you've learned because you you told me nature is going to teach us how to evolve and adapt when we were talking about your story nature is going to teach us how to evolve and adapt and one of the pieces that you bring through that i think is important here that i really want to respectfully presence um with knowing all the tragedy and I'm sure there were livestock that were that was affected. I'm sure there are businesses that were affected. There are families that are affected. There's probably a lot of grief right now from that experience. But what you bring by sharing that Mother Nature is showing us, um, it's going to teach us how to how to navigate through these liminal times. Is this presence of the collective whole? Um, you and I are going to talk about this humanity as this one planetary body as a super organism next week we're going to dig into that and for now i saw your care and concern when you were telling your story that it wasn't just about your safety you continued to look you continue to really weave in what was happening for others and how we can do this together it just exactly like that idea of texas not connecting with the states around it and sharing and creating reciprocity, creating flow. So when you think about this time in Texas, you had your individual experience, your guidance for safety and, and providing for you everything that you needed. And yet what more can you say about how this human superpower 
of, of sourcing can really help us learn how to live for the good of the whole. Because that's what you were doing. You were thinking about others as you were taking care of yourself. What I've found with sourcing, and I have a process I've developed called resonance mapping, where I actually calibrate numerically as well as quantitatively and qualitatively the um, essentially the degree of alignment with all of life. So any decision that I make must calibrate all the way, which means it must be aligned with the whole of life, which means what's good for me, therefore, is good for all. So when I didn't have the ability to check the news and see what was happening elsewhere in the state and country, I could reliably know that every time I made a decision that was calibrated all the way in terms of the resonance, that, that it was helping. It was helping the whole. Somehow, in ways I probably will never understand cognitively, but I know that. It's, it's a fact for me, and I know it, and I feel it in my bones, and it's been confirmed in various ways at various times. Then, as I become aware of more and more of the story uh, and the, the lived reality for many other people, um, I can hold that in my heart, and I can direct compassion and loving energy um, through, through my thoughts and, and through my kind of extended energy field. Um, and it does come back, though, to being grounded in source, because all of that works better when my roots are as deep as possible in the bedrock of being. Then uh, I can be stable, I can be strong, and then I have the ability to, to nourish and, and nurture those around me um, far and wide, actually, because the more deeply tapped in we are, uh, the more expansive the effect of our decisions and our very being. Mm. Listeners, I'm sure you are intrigued. We are going to dig into this just a little deeper and even um, more beauty from this voice of Jeff Vanderkloot. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, more on sourcing. What does it mean? How can you do it? How do you get there? We'll be right back. The Empower Meditation Channel. Non-stop meditation music 24 hours a day in the new Empower Radio app. Music to empower your meditation, help you relax, sleep, or provide a calm background while you work. The Empower Meditation Channel is interruption-free. Listen now with the Empower Radio app, free in the App Store, or listen online at empower.fm. Soothe your soul, calm your mind. The Empower Meditation Channel. Great party, huh, guys? Yeah, it yeah, is. So great. much fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do say so myself. Um, hey, did you know that birthday parties actually help build confidence in kids? Um, yeah, I did know that. Did you know that giving kids less sugar before bedtime helps them sleep better? Right, of course. Yeah, I knew that. Um, did you know that strollers have the right of way on sidewalks? Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Did you know that friendly kids statistically have more friends? <laughs> Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah? It's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah so yeah. obvious. Hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? 
I didn't know that. I think I knew that. No, no, you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Today's a good day to grab your kids and hang out with them for an hour. Dance, walk, play a sport, or cook a healthy meal. Because just moving a little and eating better every day can help make you and your child healthier. Can we do it? Do yeah, you know that we can. We'll ball it up. Because we know how to hoop. We'll mess around. Because we know how to play. We'll drop it down. Drop it down. Search We Can online to find doable tips and activities that you can use every day to keep you and your kids healthy. Remember, that's We Can. A message from the Ad Council, HHS, and NIH's We Can program. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There are lots of ways you can do that. You can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com. Also, learn more about our guest, Jeff Vanderkloot, at jeffvanderkloot.com. That's Jeff, J-E-F-F, Vanderkloot, V-A-N-D-E-R-C-L-U-T-E.com. Jeff, welcome back to the second half. And the, the one piece I just want to presence before we dig into what the sourcing really um, is. Many of our listeners will know this because um, they gather in, in practice often together. But there's going to be other listeners who just happen on the show that might not have any idea what we're talking about as far as it being a practice or having methods. But I just want to just this endearing idea that in Texas it was a hardship for many and this idea of you knew when you tuned in you knew when to buy enough and when not to overbuy it's like you knew you'd be taken care of just by checking in therefore i mean that's a, just another great example that as you were tuning in to Go get the groceries. Only buy this much. You don't need more than that. Buy the bottled water. You were not overbuying, and therefore you were making decisions that were not consciously, but intuitively good for the whole. Like your ability to tune in was with this intelligence that knew everything and i love this i mean that is just a real radical example of how this 
practice and this capacity, this human superpower, if you want to look at it that way, can guide us through anything. Um, and I, I hesitated. I was going to say almost anything, but I, I, I maybe you can answer that. I, I believe probably anything. So you wrote, Jeff, about six different methods in a blog. And I just want to, I'm going to read them out loud one at a time and just have you dig into those a little bit. But first, I'm just going to open it up if you want to kind of give us your overall global definition of, of what does sourcing mean to you? What is sourcing? Well, sourcing for me, and I respect that there, there can be a diversity of definitions, which is good. Sourcing for me is the practice of listening as deeply as possible. You could say going upstream to, to the source where this information originates as best as possible. And it's an interactive process where we can ask questions, uh, we, can, we can calibrate statements. If you don't wanna ask a question, you can make a statement and see how that calibrates for truth, for instance. Um, There's some methods we can discuss, how I do that at least. And so we can get answers as well. And I find that there is a, a communication feedback loop within, within being, within the great mind that is um, very active, and I would even say eager to respond to to a true question, a heartfelt question. So I mean, I suppose any question, but uh, in particular questions that that are burning questions or that have some kind of meaning and import in our lives, I find the answers to be quite forthcoming. So in this interactive conversation with the source of it all, uh, there is all the guidance that we could ever need. So I would I would affirm your statement that that sourcing can guide us through any situation whatsoever. And in particular, if we're practicing sourcing consistently, we'll find that that we're never in the situations that are especially hairy or impossible. Like we're just simply out of harm's way. I felt that it was unusual for me to be in Texas having this experience, given that for years I've always stayed ahead of uh, any um, any uh, disruption, really. And I knew, though I had this, this knowing, ah, this is different in part because there are direct lessons to be learned and shared, which is what's happening here. And so I knew this was an opportunity to practice sourcing when the heat is on or not, as the case may be. Um, so uh, I feel that I have now some lived experience that whatever the situation, sourcing, can help and see us through. Mm, that's beautiful. Okay, so you you do write about six different um, methods of sourcing, and I'm just going to read them one at a time and just have you expand on it a little bit because I think they're really, really helpful. Um, the first you wrote, opening to receive information and associated consciousness and energy from the deepest places from within where we are one with all that is. You kind of just gave that method as your definition of, of really going to ultimate source, going upstream as you would. But do you want to add anything to that? Well, one might reasonably ask, well, how do you open wide to uh, this infinite intelligence Beautiful. and wisdom? Well, yeah. meditation and there are various methods. But when our mind is more calm, we're more receptive. So I find that when I'm 
particularly still, that's when I will hear the voice, you know, the, the booming voice that has some kind of message. And that's not my normal way. For me, I'm more claircognizant. So ideas just drop in, knowing drops in, and I just, I get it uh, without really having to hear it or see it or feel it in my body. That said, it's really great when there is a confirmation via multiple intelligences and multiple pathways of intuition. So, um, well, here's a fun one. Imagine you have a decision to make and uh, there might be two different options and you can ask to be shown a tree that corresponds to the outcome of option A. So imagine that you've chosen option A and asked to be shown a tree and, and don't try to construct one in your mind because we're open and we're receptive. It will just spontaneously appear. And maybe it's a, a tall tree with a lot of vibrancy and green leaves and birds singing and sunbeams streaming through the boughs, whatever it might be. Uh, that could be suggestive of option A uh, being a good decision, a good choice, good path. And then do the same for option B. What does that tree look like? And maybe it's quite different. Maybe it has fallen over or the leaves are not as green or plentiful and there are no birds singing. So we can get information in so many different ways when we open up. And I wouldn't label all of these as meditations. Uh, some of them are more like contemplation, more, more active, but in a more active way, like asking to see a tree, uh, we make ourselves available to that information. I love that. And so opening and um, the association with the calm mind is really important, whether you're clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairnostic, claircognizant, like you said, no matter what your superpower is, the calm mind and the quiet spaciousness, when we give ourselves that spaciousness, we hear clearer we see clearer we experience so thank you that was really good and i loved it i love the idea about the trees i've never thought about plan a give me this that's that was brilliant okay the second one you you talk about asking a question verbally or energetically with the intention to receive an answer from the greatest and most benevolent source of wisdom for the optimal good of all. I love how you continue to hold the good of the all, the good of the whole there. Thank you for always um, upholding that. Jeff, you're brilliant. But asking a question specifically, so it's a little bit different than saying, show me a tree, um, or asking, you, you, really, you really have this ability. I'll let you expand on that. Sure. Well, when we articulate a question well, then we can get a clear answer. And it's important to specify in the request that this answer, this response, come from the deepest or wisest place that has the, the greatest uh, view of the whole in order to then make a recommendation that is maximally in service to the well-being of that whole. And that becomes implicit with practice. You just know. One could say all things considered. Um, I'd say things and no things beyond all possibility of things and no things. So really, the totality, which includes the form and the formless, manifest and unmanifest. All right. So that becomes just kind of baked into how we hold the process energetically. Some people um, work with pendulums, and so you, if you do that, you you use a pendulum and you see which you hold it out and hold your hand still ask the question and 
you'll observe that the, the pendulum will start to swing in one direction or another, or maybe go around in a circle, or maybe it will do nothing at all. And with a little practice, one learns that those different uh, responses or non-responses are meaningful, and, and some are yes or no or uh, maybe or more information. So, so that's a fun way to do it. Um, if you don't have a pendulum or if that's not your way, you can feel in your body whether maybe you're pulled forward in response to asking the question or maybe you lean backwards just spontaneously. And the key is you don't make it happen. Um, some people feel that their, their heart leaps when the answer is yes, or they feel a sinking feeling when the answer is no. Other people um, have reported a feeling of bubbles rising in their, their system or the, the hairs stand up on their arms. There is no end to the number of ways and the variety of ways that uh, guidance can show up in our system. So we ask a question and we get the response in one or another or maybe multiple ways. And um, I, when I first started sourcing, I was in this mode and I could feel energy rising in my spine and a tingling sensation and that was my yes. And my no was a pressure in my left temple that could be quite painful at times. If I was not paying attention, if I was missing something really, really important, I would feel like um, a small, fortunately, a small hammer had been tapped against my right temple and it was a bit of a shooting pain. So that, that would tell me, hey, wake up, buddy. Uh, there's something here you're not noticing or you're going in the wrong direction. And so that's yes and no. Obviously, life is, is more nuanced than just yes and no answers. But if we ask a well-structured question that produces a yes or no, that will take us a long, long way. Um, there are other methods for getting more nuanced uh, answers. For instance, if we're in a visualization, we can go on a journey, and that journey can show us a lot more about the path ahead. Um, but I would say a good place to start is yes, no, and other, or maybe more information, however one holds that. Beautiful. I love how this is this is like the art and the science of intuition here. You're, you're kind of ruling in both by the art of crafting the good question and the science of learning all the intuitive ways that we can hear. I, I want to just pause before I go to the next one to ask you, in your development, you've had natural gifts. I have natural gifts. I, I was born with that as a little girl after a near-death experience, so it was real easy for me. But I often get people asking, do you, do you practice one way of listening until you perfect it, or do you wait for your gifts to show up? Like when you were talking about some will start with a pendulum, some will have a, a sensation in their body, their heart might leap, bubbles, tingling, or hearing that voice. What, what would you recommend? Do you start by identifying one or naturally tuning into your own gifts? How would you, how would you begin that journey? Well, I would say start by being wildly curious about how deep wisdom shows up for you. And then life will arrange to show you. And it does not hurt. You cannot go wrong by practicing different methods and, and seeing which ones work, which processes fit, feel right to you. So use a pendulum. I have done that. I find that it's not my most natural way. It's fun though. And as we develop one uh, set of skills or 
form of mastery, it's interesting that mastery generalizes and we find that we're more able to use other pathways. So if we're highly clear cognizant and we lean into that fully, like I've just totally committed myself to um, mastering that channel, uh, I find I hear more, I see more, I have the capacity to feel in my body. Uh, it doesn't have to be my primary way. Uh, so I would say start anywhere and follow it everywhere. And also, a scientist would, well, at least I would say, according to the current definition of science, you have what's called a controlled experiment when you adjust just one variable at once. But I would say that a way in which science will evolve is we're going to let go of that idea because what I've discovered is when you try three things at once and you no longer have the ability to know which one made the difference, somehow, and I would say in this case, it's three or more are gathered, uh, that opens up a space for grace. And so some, um, something comes in from another level of being, and we could call that grace. And it enters the picture and it uplifts or heals or awakens, but it's very much uh, uh, like a divine action. And so coming back to your question, I would say try three methods. See what happens. I predict good results. Beautiful encouraging thank you okay i'm gonna um jump into this next one checking with additional people who are sourcing responses to the same question you call it co-sourcing and other sourcing methods to confirm the information so i love this um another way of exploring you're inviting them into you want to say more absolutely well you mentioned this earlier you alluded to there being communities of people who are practicing uh, this deep listening together and when we listen together, it's like we have a bigger ear. We can listen more deeply into the field. And also, uh, we might be engaging with information that is multifaceted, multidimensional, kind of like the proverbial elephant and the, the four blind people who were touching different parts. One person would, you know, with certainty proclaim that uh, this is uh, some kind of hose and another person would proclaim it's a big leg or, or what have you, or there's a tail. Uh, however the story goes, probably a little different from that. And um, so when you have multiple people who are tuning in and getting answers, you can, you can assemble the pieces of the picture. And also if, and this can happen, if there's a really strong attachment or a lot of emotional charge around a question, that can very much distort the answer that we receive because we're unwilling to receive all possible answers. And so we see um, only a subset of what's available to us, which can then appear to be the answer that we're looking for. So when we have other people involved who are co-sourcing, co-sensing, and asking the same question, uh, calibrating the same statement, whatever the approach may be, uh, they don't have the same emotional charge or attachment. They might get a different answer. And then when you have people who have received different answers, you have the possibility of um, further uh, exploration, further dialogue. Oh, what might this be? Maybe we need to improve our question. That's often the case. The question itself was ambiguous. Uh, maybe there's some emotional uh, releasing to do here. And then that brings in another set of spiritual capacities for releasing emotional energies that may be related to trauma or uh, unprocessed experiences uh, earlier in one's life. So when you are working as a collective, uh, there is the possibility of being more whole in the approach and handling more situations with grace. 
and growing together because the more you do it, uh, particularly as a community, the more that communal ear becomes very, very clear. And so you could say it takes a village to cultivate these um, awakened human capacities that are in us all, uh, but they do emerge so much more easily when we work together. Mm. So I just want to ask you one more question while we're in this teaching mode, and then I'm going to switch it and invite you to deepen into this in a new way here. But I just want to presence this idea of implementing the guidance. Like, I, I feel like that like opens the door for more. I don't know what more you could say about that, but what happens when we literally practice implementing that guidance? Well, it's as if life realizes that we're serious. We're not just listening and maybe writing down, taking notes on the guidance, and then going about our merry way as if we had never had the conversation with Source. And we, we demonstrate our willingness to trust, to trust this deep wisdom. And when we take action, then we become the instruments of the divine. And we are utilized more and more and more fully. And we receive the experiences that make us clearer and, and cleaner channels for divine activity. So it's extremely important to see the process all the way through, end to end, from the, the impulse and the, the high quality question to receiving the information and then using the information. And I would say using the information will always be using it in service. Uh, it, it, it might be for yourself, but if it's, if it's high quality, resonant, um, guidance, then you can know, as I said earlier, that this action you take seemingly for yourself is also benefiting the whole. Mm, so beautiful. These are all good teachings. And, and thank you for getting really practical here with me and, and teaching from this place, from our heads here. And I'm going to just invite you to take a breath um, and drop deep, deeper, Jeff, because I know your words can be such an important transmission for all of us. And so I just want to open this last question and, you know, we have about five minutes here, um, maybe four minutes until we close. But I'm wondering, Jeff, if um, what might emerge within you of, of really delivering a message to all of our listeners today about practicing the sourcing as a new advanced human capacity that can propel us into our next stage of evolution on the planet. Beautiful. Well, it's true that when we're in a so-called teaching mode, the mind is, is involved. And when it's in service, that's a good thing. And there's so much more. There's so much more that we are. Again, we're we're all things connected and our, our beingness goes very deep. So what I have found is that when we source consistently, even continuously, which is basically the case for me after years of practice, we discover that we, we are one with source and being one with source, we are source and we can't we can't claim that at the level of individual personal identity. That doesn't work. And actually, it definitely backfires. But when we can relax and deepen into our own deepest roots, then 
we are highly empowered. We are highly empowered to literally be the change that we wish to see in the world. Thank you, Gandhi. And we have the capacity to bring in new energy, new information. And this is literally new. It's not something that has existed before within the universe. This is another area where science will make some additional discoveries that, that it is possible to bring in a kind of energy that's brand new. That's like a stem cell that can take the form that's needed for the healing of the planet, mother nature, people, ourselves. And so in sourcing, we are sourcing and resourcing this new energy and information. You could say light as well. Um, that is the stuff of the new world. And the world will heal very quickly. We will see regeneration, but we will see new generation as we increasingly practice sourcing. So it's not only about getting answers to questions. That's like how we establish the connection and the oneness with the source of our being. Once we have that connection and realization of oneness and know who and what we truly are, then we are incredibly powerful as in this is the right use of power, which is the energy of love. We can make the changes in this very decade that uh, seem to have eluded humanity for so long. And that means new institutions of government that have wiser policies that don't separate us from our neighbors. That means new, uh, new energy distribution in general that uh, will be decentralized and more resilient. It will mean alternative ways of growing food that are in alignment with uh, nature and the rhythms of life. Everything that we depend on is going to get a big upgrade in the coming years. It's, it's going to happen regardless, but it will be much gentler when we can bring our native sourcing capacity uh, into the process of living our daily lives. Mm. I love how you call it native, native, native. And I love how you said not just regeneration, but new generation as well. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for joining me with this important conversation. Thank you. We're going to do this again next week. We're going to bring another really beautiful conversation um, the next couple of weeks here with some important information. So thank you. Thank you, um, Jeff. I always love learning from you. Oh, I love being here. Thanks again, Julie. You're welcome. And listeners, I want to leave you with words from Jeff himself. When we source, we join with the source of our being, with practice. And as we source more and more deeply, we become the ultimate source. Sourcing awakens the practitioner from the experience of being separate from the ultimate source of being. Importantly, there's a point at which the one who is sourcing transitions from accessing source to abiding as source. Then the intention of sourcing shifts from attaining wisdom to expressing enlightenment, which is the joy of creatorship. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. 